But anyhow, well, this morning, I'm going to start sharing with you. And so here's my title. I'll go ahead and give it to you. It's a Christ-focused Christmas. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, we are in full Christmas swing. And if you don't know, you probably haven't left your house in, you know, two months. But now I'll certify that it's okay because we're in December. So I'm okay with it now. And uh, But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, all of the things that come with Christmas we see. And so, you know, all the decorations and all the lights and all of those things are going up. You know, people are buying gifts, wrapping gifts. They're starting to do all the stuff uh, around Christmas time. And, of course, everywhere you go, what do you hear? Christmas music, right? And so, I mean, there's whole radio stations that are dedicated to just Christmas music. And, you know... But I want to just kind of start off this month, if you will, just as a reminder of why we do all of this. You know, because it's easy to lose kind of focus. And if you ask people, they're going to say, well, it's because Jesus was born. Yes, that's true. But there's also a lot more to it than that. And, uh, you know, and so really, as, especially as believers, uh, I believe that it's easy to just get busy, uh, just distracted and just... <laughs> life coming and you're making schedules and arrangements that we really don't take the time to focus uh, during this time to really, uh, really kind of take it in as to uh, why we do what we do. And, uh, you know, even just the basic thing of just giving of gifts, that there's actually a reason why we do that. Is that it's actually, we're, it's supposed to be a, a, remor- a memorial, if you will, or a remembrance of what the wise men gave to Jesus. They didn't just come and say, hey, he's the Messiah, awesome, Lee. You know, they actually brought gifts. And so that we do that as a tradition. And, uh, you know, and there's so many things that we do that we just don't pay attention to many times or really even understanding, connecting the dots, if you will. But uh, this morning, I want to share just uh, a few simple things with you. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And this is um, an account right when uh, Jesus is born. But I want to just pull one thing out here, or one couple things I should say. But uh, starting in verse 1, it says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. It says, uh, and about that same time, some wise men from the eastern lands uh, had arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So we have the, the three wise men, and really it was a caravan. It wasn't just three random dudes with, you know, just on a journey. They, were, they had an entourage. I'll say it that way. They, they had a crew with them, and they, it was a spectacle when they shown, had shown up. And so they had come because they had seen the, the star that ultimately led them to Jesus. Now, they've been following it, knowing because they had an angelic visitation saying that the Messiah is born. Well, you know... The way this reads, it makes it sound like that it was just like, oh, they came around the corner. But if you read the rest of this chapter, it actually took them two years to get there. I mean, this wasn't like a mild, like flippant, like, hey, let's just run down the street to church and just pop in on service real quick. This was a two-year journey just to get there, so which means they had to take two years to get back, too. And they came for one purpose. To worship the Messiah. I mean, if you really kind of like take some time to ponder that a little bit. I mean, we don't understand travel like this at all. We're like two hours in the car. That's forever. These guys have been two years riding a camel, 
to who knows what kind of weather. I mean, they went through all the seasons, so, but who knows how hot, how cold. I mean, for two years, they've been coming for a moment. I mean, think, think about this. These guys have interrupted their entire life for approximately four years for one moment. Everything else was on hold for one moment because they came because they wanted to worship the Messiah. It says in verse 3, when King Herod, or, or King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah uh, supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, uh, for the prophets have written. And so they had this whole dialogue and basically... Um, Herod was uh, protective of his throne, let's say it that way, because the Jewish people understood, or their understanding was that the Messiah was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom. So Herod has a little insecurity here because he thinks, my time is up. If this is true, that's why it says he was deeply troubled. Why would he be deeply troubled because a baby was born? Well, it's because it wasn't just any baby. It was the Messiah, it was the... Uh, the long-awaited king was coming uh, in their understanding. And so in verse 9, it says that, you know, um, well, I'll give you some. In verse 7, it says, Herod calls for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them when the star had first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, obviously, that's just a big fat lie. He didn't want to worship him at all. He wanted to take care of his competition for lack of a better term. And so it says, continues on, and it says in verse 9, it says, After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It says, uh, It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. It says, And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. It says in verse 11 that they entered the house and saw uh, the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. It says then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says and when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so many of us know this passage and many of you know the story is exactly what it says here. But I want to just kind of pull out some things here this morning because it's easy to get distracted by all that Christmas is or isn't in your life. You know, some of you have heard me talk about this, but I remember when me and Dara first got married, uh, we got married at the beginning of August, and by the end of August, we had moved to another state. And uh, so, like, within 30 days, our whole world was just totally different. And uh, so, uh, our first Christmas, we weren't going to be able to go home uh, for several reasons, but... Our first Christmas was a little sad. I mean, like a Charlie Brown tree would have been an upgrade for us that year. Because we didn't have a tree, we didn't have lights, we didn't have any money, so we didn't have gifts. And, uh, you know, and so, but I remember we were sitting there like, and I'm not, uh, I'm not Scrooge, but I'm not the biggest Christmas festival kind of, my wife loves all the stuff, and so I do it for her, but... I'm fine with it. I mean, I like to look at it. I just don't like messing with it, quite honestly. If I don't have to touch it, it's great. It's just the whole messing with it and fighting with it and all that. that it, uh, but anyhow, and so anyhow, so our first Christmas, you know, we're newly married, been married a couple months, and uh, we're there. And so we wake up Christmas morning, and we're in a still fairly new city in the middle of nowhere and don't really know anybody. And so we wake up, and it's Christmas morning, and she starts crying. 
because she doesn't even have a tree, you know, and it was, and, and we don't know anybody. We're not going anywhere for Christmas lunch or anything like that. And, you know, we sit on the couch and we're like, this stinks, you know, because <laughs> of course we didn't think about it. And we're like, well, let's go get some food. Well, nothing's open. You know, it's Christmas Day, and we didn't think about that. Because why? Because we always had plans on Christmas Day. And, uh, you know, and so that was kind of our first Christmas together. It was pretty pathetic. And, uh, you know, but in truth, what made it so pathetic is because we were upset by what we didn't have. We were upset by all these external things that we were so accustomed to that now we're stripped away, and because of that, we couldn't even say, Jesus, I'm thankful that you came. You know, and, and I think, you know, and in that moment, I wish I could say that we got it together, and we were like, <laughs> praise the Lord, and it was amazing, and we had, you know, just, you know, an angel showed up, and, you know, that didn't happen. We were in the worst mood, you know, I mean, it was terrible. And, uh, you know, but why was it so terrible? Simply because we didn't put our focus in the right place. And so many times, especially dear, because Christmas can be a great time. But depending on your life experience and what may be going on, this can be some of the loneliest time. I mean, you can be in a room full of people and yet not really be connected to anybody and say, man, I just wish I had a friend. I wish I had, you know, for some of you, you may have lost a family member. And this may be the first Christmas. And so this Christmas might bring some pain. Well, when we look at the things that we don't have, it robs Christmas of what the true joy of Christmas is to be. And it is a matter of focus. And just as it says here, it says that when the wise men, when that star, when it appeared again to them, it filled them with great joy. Not because of the two years of journey that they had just been through, but they were filled with joy. Why? Because... They knew that they were that much closer to getting to Jesus, to getting in front of the Messiah, and being able to worship Him. You know, and and, and this is what we see, and ultimately, this is what Christmas is all about. But it's easy to lose focus, and it's easy to lose sight of why we do what we do. You know, and so this morning, I want to spend just a few minutes and and really... uh, share with you, but also just kind of to keep it in in focus for us. You know, even here it says that that these guys came to worship. You know, now worship is more than just a song that we sing. I mean, yes, we were just singing worship songs, and there's truth in that. But worship is also a lifestyle. It's what we do all the time. It's not just a moment, it is who we are. And it's supposed to really flow from our heart as gratitude and honor towards God. For what? Because He came for us. God didn't have to come for us. Jesus didn't have to step off his throne to come down and to be in our place. And yet the Bible says that he willingly did this. Why? So that we could be put back into right relationship with God. And so our only proper response to that is simply to worship. I mean, as a life, not just a song, but when we understand that, man, my whole life is to be an act of worship unto God. Is that, you know, and... There's lots of phrases and things that people have coined through the years about this. But we were created for worship. We were created for relationship, for fellowship. And we ought to, as believers during this season, 
have a little bit more heightened awareness of maybe our focus being in the proper place. You know, here where it talks about worship, uh, where it says that the, the wise men, that they bowed down, which was really, uh, even as they would do that, it was really a recognition of one that was superior. We still see that in, in the Orient today. People bow. Why do they do that? It's because they're acknowledging that you have a superior position than I do. And, and so it was part of their culture, still is part of their culture for that matter. But they're bowing down, and the Bible says that they didn't just bow, but they began to worship. And really, uh, the word worship means to give reverence to, to adore. It, it, it's a recognition of, of who God is and what He's done. And so, yes, worship is, is a song, and yes, we sing worship. And that's an element, but it doesn't stop there. That's, it, it's part of it, yes. But just as these men came and began to worship God, I don't know if there's any higher form of gratitude than worship. I don't think there's any other way that I can say thank you to God than to open up. Because true worship is from the heart. It's not just words. It's not just a thought. It's from your heart that you begin to worship God. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It means that it, 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 it's more heart than head. I'll say it that way. Worship is more heart than it is head. It's more hard, God, and you may not even have words sometimes, but that's okay. But it is giving time and space to just say, God, man, I want to connect with you heart to heart. Not just in some religious standard, religious way. I really want to make a personal connection with you because we could pray a prayer, get saved, and never connect with God. Never actually make a meaningful connection. And yet that was the whole reason that we celebrate Christmas. Is why? Because God stepped off of the throne and stepped onto the earth. So that he could make a way for us to have that relationship brought back with with the Lord. So that's why we worship. And, And you know even when we see this here. You know as I mentioned these guys had traveled for two years. Put their whole life on pause. We don't know the story. These guys are just a little blip on the radar in the story of the Bible. I mean, they're just there for a moment and gone. We don't know anything about them beforehand. We just know that they came and they came giving gifts. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I don't have an urn or anything. But, you know, we see the pictures like with the guy with the little gold box. Bringing his little box. And he's like, here, baby Jesus, here's you a little gift. You know, it really wasn't like that. I mean, they brought Jesus... A fortune. I mean, if you go and read the story, immediately after these guys leave, Herod puts out a decree and says, we're going to kill every kid under two years old. And an angel appears to Joseph and says, take your family to Egypt. Well, they were there for several years. How did they live? Off of those gifts that came from those wise men. And then when Herod dies, the angel comes back and says, okay, Joseph, you can return home. And all that fulfilled prophecy. All of those things were things that God had said he would do before that moment had ever happened. You know, and so even in this, but, but the thing I want you to really catch this morning about this is that we can get so rushed. I mean, how many reasons do you think those wise men could have had to not go on that two-year journey? Actually, make it four, because they didn't stay there. They went back home. 
Well, how rushed do we get in just life? I mean, life is busy as it is, but then you add the holidays and everything else that's going on and all the things that are happening. And then depending on what you do for work, you know, this is the end of the year. So there may be a push to get some things done by the end of the year and all these types of things. And life just gets really busy. And so it's like, man, if I can just make it to January, if I can just make it to January, if I can just make it to January, we'll start a new year and it'll be good. That's the way some of us feel anyways. It's like, man, if we could just make it pass, just get through this. Yeah, but what about in the meantime? What about focusing on really why we celebrate? I mean, there's a reason why we celebrate. You know, and especially for us as believers, it ought to have really deep meaning to us. Is it, And ultimately, I believe that we should take this time... And to set specific time aside and to seek the Lord, to pray, to spend time in the presence of God, to worship God. Don't get so rushed that we miss the moments that we need. I mean, because the Bible says is that, look, he is the breath of life. So if we don't have that connection regularly, what is your life really consisting of? I mean, the Bible says that he will sustain us with the breath of his mouth. Well, what does that mean? Like, well, that sounds strange. Well, it's a connection. It's a personal connection with God. It's, it's, let me say it this way. It's a personal experience with God. God is not a God just to believe in. He is a God that can be experienced and connected to and felt and talk to and he will talk back to you. And there's this very personal exchange that is supposed to happen. That he desires to happen. It's the whole reason that Jesus came. You know, that, of course, there's the phrase is that Jesus is the reason for the season. You ever heard that? They got a whole song about it, you know. And, there's, it, and yet we say those things, but do we really stop to think about what we're actually, what it actually means and what we're actually saying in that moment? Without Jesus, there is no Christmas. There is no reason to celebrate. There is no reason to eat too much food and give too much stuff and do all these things. And There is no Christmas. I mean, most of the world doesn't even celebrate Christmas. They don't. Why? Because they don't have the Christian background that we do. We celebrate it because of our heritage. But we ought to really... Figure out why. And look into why we do these things. And so I want to ask you a little bit different question uh, this morning along this line. And I want to get into some of the meat of what I want to share with you in the next few minutes is this. Is that the wise men, it says they brought gifts unto Jesus. They worshipped him. And then they gave him gifts. So here's here's a question and I'm going to give you the answer in a moment. But I'm going to give you the question first. Because I'm sure you either have your list of things you want for Christmas, right? Or you have the list of what your kids want or your spouse wants or whoever it may be. But have you thought about what gift you're going to give to God this year? Have you really taken the moments to really think? Because there's really only one thing that He wants. Have you ever had somebody re-gift you a gift? You ever had one of those? You're like, this 
Me and Derek were just given something here recently. I won't go into the details of it. It wasn't, it was just whatever. I'm not even going into the details. And as soon as we opened it, I was like, I know who this is going to. Because it, it, it's going to get re-gifted. Why? Because, well, we're just not going to use it. And, uh, and I don't particularly think it's amazing, but I know somebody who will. And so I'm going to re-gift that. You know, I, I asked the question of what gift will you give to the Lord this year? And, you know, and there's a lot to be thought or said, and there's a lot of answers to this, but ultimately there's only one thing that He wants, which is you. He wants your heart. He wants that connection, that relationship with you. God wants to be in a relationship, in a constant connection with you more than we do. More than I even want to be connected to Him, He wants to be connected in fellowship with me. Well, the same is true for you. And yet many times what happens is that every Christmas we simply re-gift the same person we were last year to God. Because we've not changed, we've not grown, we've not developed in anything that God has given. And so it's like, here I am again. And it's like, hey, I got this same gift last year. See, I don't want to re-gift myself to God every year. What I want to be is a new gift. A better gift. One that has taken since January and has grown up to this point. Uh, With an understanding of God, I didn't do this in and of myself. I didn't grow by myself. It's by the grace of God. It's by uh, really the help of the Holy Spirit. But I want to be a new gift that He's excited to open. If you want to think of it in context of Christmas. I don't want to just fall into the routines of time and of just that this is the way things happen and this is just who I am and all those types of... I want to change and be, as the Bible says, to be continually changed over and over and over again, being shaped and molded and fashioned into the image of Christ. Well, that's a continual process. It's not just a one-time deal. Well, I want to be, just as I said, I, I, I want to... I, I want to be a gift to God. Now, I don't mean that in a prideful or an arrogant way, but the Bible says that He has set us as His affection. I didn't choose that. He chose us. He chose me. He chose you and said, You are the object of my affection. I like buying my wife's gifts. Why? Because I love her. She's the object of my affection. You know, we just bought Max a train for the a Christmas train. I've never had the need for a Christmas train. Just never seen the purpose of why I thought I needed one. But this year things are different. Max is into trains. You know, and it was fun to take him to the store the other day. And I'm like, hey, buddy, what's that? And he's like, it's a train. I was like, what does the train say? Choo-choo. You know, he's like yelling in the store. And, you know, that whole thing. You know. And I'm like, you want to take it home? And he's like. So he goes over there, you know, the box is like this big. And he's like, you know, trying to get it and trying to pull it down. I'm like, I'll get it for you. You know, and he's like excited to get home. We got to take it out the box. And well, why do I all of a sudden have the need of a train? I don't have need of a train. But I have need to see what it does for my son. Well, if me being just a human being can understand that concept. How much more God being perfect and God being love, 
And in truth, why do I want the train? It's not just for Max. I spent probably an hour, hour and a half last night putting the train back on the track. 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 Just why? Because I'm spending time with my son. So in truth, I went and bought something for me to work more. But you know what? I'm getting time with him too. And I'll get down on the floor. Which, why am I going to sit on the floor? i got a couch to sit on. It's because he's down there. Because he's into it. Therefore, I'm into it, you know. And then, so there's this connection. Well, how much... I mean, it's not really any different for the Heavenly Father. He wants to have that, that time and that... that uh, really that connection with us. And that's what this season is all about. It's about keeping Christ central and focused on uh, who we are and what we're doing. And about us being mindful that we are to grow in Him. Continually. All the time. Developing in, into more and more and more of who He wants us to be. Now I want to read some verses here out of Colossians chapter uh, 1. It's a passage, decent passage of Scripture, but this is talking about Christ. And I believe that it also summarizes much of what He came to do. In Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So why did Christ come? To reveal the nature and the character of God. Well, how do we know what God's like? Who is Jesus? Was Jesus good? Yes. Did Jesus heal? Yes. Was Jesus compassionate? Yes. I mean, there were lots of things about Jesus. Did Jesus hate religion? Yes, he did. Well, those are all the nature and the character of, of God. Why? Because he came to reveal God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It says he existed before anything was created and is supreme. In other words, he's first. Jesus doesn't take a back seat to anybody or anything. He is supreme in all of creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we see by the things that we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. It says everything was created through Him and for Him. You were created for Christ. Like, well, I don't know what, what my purpose is and I don't know what God has for me. For Christ. We're like, well, what does that mean? To know Him. It's just like what, uh, what Paul says. That I may become intimately more acquainted with Him. Personally, that, that heart-to-heart connection. It says all of creation was created through Christ and for Him. Verse 17 says, He existed before anything else. And He holds all of creation together. Without Christ, everything just falls apart. In a literal sense and in a figurative one. My life is not good when Christ is not the focus of it. Let me break it down. I am not good when Christ is not the focus of my life. When I am focused on me, I'm not nice. I'm not pleasant. When I'm selfish and I'm just... Mindful of what I have to do. The best version of me is when Christ is first. 
Because he makes me a lot better. He makes me a lot stronger. He makes me a lot wiser. You know, all those types of things. But also just the attitudes of my heart are much better when Christ is first. Verse 18 says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning and supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. What does that mean? God, that through Jesus God brought everything back into right standing. That's what reconciled means. He just brought it back to where it should have been. Second part of this verse 20 it says, He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. By means of Christ's blood on the cross. It says, this includes you who were once far away from God. It says, you were his enemies and separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. It says, as a result, uh, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless. And you stand before him without a single fault. Now, some of you can't believe what I just read in verse 22 there. Because you still see yourself through your mistakes. You still see yourself through your past. You still see yourself by every place that you don't measure up. But this is the way that through Christ God sees you. He says, He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, so because of what Christ did and because you've accepted what Christ did, He has brought you into His own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before God or before Him without a single fault. Verse 23 says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you've heard or when you heard the good news. He really lays out here, the apostle lays out for us kind of the credentials of Jesus himself. And says there's only one place for him to belong and that's in the first place, first position, first importance in our life. It means I don't just do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt me and say, don't do that. You want to do this, but don't. You know, there's times at the house that I want to watch football. And he says, get up and help your wife. I don't want to do that. I want to watch my football game, right? Help with the kid. You know, do these various things. Well, that's not really what I want to do right now. And yet I know it's the Lord just kind of, why? Because he's trying to help me be a better husband. He's trying to help me be a better dad. But I have to be willing to allow Jesus to be Lord. I have to allow Him to stay first. And really the only way I do that is through focus. I have to make it a priority that I'm going to listen for the voice of God. Why? Because He speaks. The question is, am I listening? Am I hearing? You know, sometimes I believe that people say, well, God's never spoke to me. Well, there's really two answers to that. Either one, you really don't know how to hear from God. Or the other answer is, is you're not listening. And really, only you can answer that. I can't answer that for you. Only you know that. Because you know if you ignore, you're like, oh, well, you know, I had a little something, just a little random thought in me that I should have helped my wife, and now she's ticked off. Well, that little something was probably the Holy Spirit. Because he was trying to save you some misery and some some frustration there. Or vice versa. 
You know, I, I mean, God speaks to us, but where does all that come from? It comes from that connection with Him. And that's what this season, this time is about for us. Is that we want to keep Christ as the focus of Christmas. Don't let it become about everything else and anything else and all these other things. We want Christ to be central. We want Him to be the focus of our Christmas season. And ultimately, really what that has to do with is that it's not just like, okay, well, it's Christmas time. We need to think about Jesus more. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that Christ ought to be the focus of our heart. Jesus didn't die just for our physical body, although he did do that. He didn't just buy for our, or die for our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, although he did pay the price for that as well. Ultimately, he paid the price for our spirit, that real part of us that will last forever. And so, really, we want to have the focus of our heart not being clouded by all these other things. We want to be focused on Him. We want to have our heart. You know, I was talking about this in the beginning, but the Bible, you know, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus made a statement in the Bible, but He made a statement about worship specifically. He was talking to the woman at the well, and He said, you know, because they were having a debate on where do you worship? Where's the proper place? You know, they say here, we say there. And he says, it doesn't matter. He said, the day is coming. And he said, really, today is that day where it doesn't matter where you worship. It's how you worship. Because if you're going to really worship, it's got to be in spirit, which is your spirit, man, that real eternal part of you in spirit or from your heart and in truth. See, the the truth is, is that you can only worship that which is first. You can't have Jesus as fourth and say, well, I worship him. No, because whatever you worship is what is preeminent, what's of most importance to you. That could be your job. That could be whatever. It could be your family. It, it, It could be any number of things. But yet... We're called to worship God in spirit and in truth. From our hearts, truly being focused and keeping Him in the proper place of our life to worship Him out of that. You're like, well, I don't really know how to do what you're talking about. I'll give you some simple things. Number one, start by praying. Just God, look, this, and it may be weird. It may feel strange. I don't know everybody's backgrounds, but it may, it's okay. Just pray. Start where you're at. Just begin to thank God for the blessings in your life. God, I thank you that I have salvation. I thank you that I know where I'm going for all of eternity is with you. That you've ransomed me and saved me from the penalty of sin and ultimately from death. You can start there. Find some songs that really your heart connects to. Begin to worship with those songs. You know, there may be some songs that we do in our worship. Talk to anybody on the team. They can tell you what the title is. Go get on YouTube. Put it on repeat. Listen to it in your house. Listen to it in your car. And you, and you connect in that place. So you can do it through prayer. You can do it through worship. Singing worship songs. Putting yourself in that place. <clears throat> Even when you're worshiping, think about what you're singing. Don't just sing the words because you know them. Allow your heart to connect to them. 
You know, we were singing that song <clears throat> uh, earlier called Ever Be. Your praise will ever be on my lips. What does that mean? I'm going to be in a continual place of where I'm thanking God in a heart of gratitude. That's an act of worship. Just being continually mindful and thankful of who God is and what He's done in your life. Because this is the life that we're called to. We want to have a Christmas season where we're Christ-focused. Not just distracted. We want to be focused in the, in, in the greatest blessing. I mean, that, that's truly the greatest gift we can give God is us. But here's the greatest blessing for us. Is that the Bible says when you draw close to God, He will draw close to you. So it's not just that you're doing these things trying to please God. Although it does please God when we pray, when we worship, when we, you know, study our Bible, when we do those kinds of things. But ultimately, the, the, the reward for us is that God shows up. God shows up in our heart. God shows up in our life. And God moves upon us. And then our relationship goes deeper. And it goes deeper. And it goes deeper. And it goes deeper. And it's just one step at a time. That's the promise of Christmas. Is that Christ came down so that we could have that relationship. We could have that connection with God. So I just want to encourage you this morning with this. Be mindful of it. Don't get distracted. Don't get in a rush. Slow down. Take a breath. Focus. And keep Christ the center of your Christmas. Amen.